So thank you for being here this morning. This morning we're continuing with an exposition of just these few words from Matthew 27 when talking about Judas and when he realized that Jesus was being arrested and was going to get into really deep trouble and it looked like Jesus was going to be killed. Because he didn't, I don't know if he realized this before, probably not. But at any rate, when he realized what was happening, what his action was doing in relation to Jesus, what did it say? He changed his mind. And that Greek word is from the word which has to do with repent. And so we felt that the Holy Spirit wanted us to, if you would, enlarge upon this entire issue of repentance, at least to some extent. We're not going to do the entire issue. And so if you've been missing one or two of the classes, please, please, please get the CDs or the podcast or whatever it is. It is vital, absolutely vital. You cannot, we cannot, we will not grow in our relationship with God and mature. We will not grow in our relationship and maturity in God and Christ. We will not be conformed to the image of Christ to any great extent unless we understand and learn and actually repent of what God the Holy Spirit shows us. Amen. So this is a vital aspect of our growth in Christ. And it's been, I think, de-emphasized in the church over the years. And it needs to be revived. Why? Because Jesus' first sermon in Matthew and Mark is what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven except you repent first, then faith to receive Christ. You cannot mature in Christ. You cannot grow. You cannot be conformed to the image of Christ except through the work of the Holy Spirit as he convicts us of sin, as he creates in us a godly sorrow, which leads to what? Repentance which has to do with our salvation and which has to do with our continuing in this salvation called sanctification, correct? So this is a vital issue. Many, many, many in the church are not experiencing the overcoming work of the Holy Spirit as to sin, as to temptation, for a couple of basic reasons, one of which perhaps at least minimally, is an ignorance of what this word means and its necessity in our lives as believers, correct? So I I don't want to drum it in and drum it in, but I'm going to drum it in and drum it in. This is vital to our Christian growth. And so that's why I say, if you have not been here, please, please, please get the CDs. How many of you have children or grandchildren? Okay, when they were in school, if they missed a class, what did you insist on? Come on, what did you insist on? What? Make it up, get the notes, call somebody. How many of you did that? Correct? Yes. This is more important. Amen? This is more important than that. So, please forgive me if I sound angry this morning. I'm not. I'm just desirous that we get this by the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to get in his way by overdoing it. Father, minister to us this morning. 
as you always do in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at the first two aspects of godly grief. The first two aspects of godly grief that creates a repentance that leads to salvation. Remember, we talked about these. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And when he convicts us of sin, we then, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 7-11, we begin to experience an earnestness and an eagerness about sin. And so what is the big problem with our sinning? When we sin as believers, when we sin as a believer, are we already forgiven? When I sin, if I commit a sin right now or in 10 minutes, am I already forgiven? Yes or no? Yes. Now get this straight. Committing a sin as a believer has not, is not an issue of forgiveness. Why? Because in Christ, in order to be in Christ, in order to be a believer, in order to have been born again, you have to have been forgiven at the cross. Amen? Being born again is the application of the death of Jesus paying for our sin that God applies to us in our new birth, giving us a new heart in exchange for the old heart, and we are then justified, in other words, by faith when we are receiving this God calls us to be justified. In other words, to be declared as not guilty. As to the guilt and as to the penalty of sin, but we still sin. So what does now the activity of sin deal with? It doesn't deal with necessarily our, sorry, it doesn't deal with our relationship with God as his children. It deals with and affects our fellowship with God, our walk with God as his children, correct? And so the biggest issue now about our sinning is this. It is an attack against God's fellowship. It is an attack against the fellowship that we experience by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin because he's showing us that what you are doing is first disallowing me, the Holy Spirit, from having intimate, continual deeper fellowship with you for which Christ died in order that we might have not only a fellowship, but a continuing intimacy of fellowship. And then we are deprived then of the experience of that fellowship. And that in and of itself should be the most grieving aspect of sin. The most grieving aspect of sin should be this. It is an attack against our personal, continuing, developing intimacy with Christ by the Holy Spirit. Do we see this? This is the issue that is most grievous about sin. It's about God's desire and commitment to fellowship with us as his children, paid for by Jesus at the cross and given to us in the resurrection. Romans 4, 25. If you read that, you'll see that. And so when the Spirit shows us our sin, when we are convicted of sin, when that happens, as to its relationship with God, our first reaction is earnestness that seeks to present ourselves to God for his cleansing work. 
So the next time you are convicted of sin, typically what happens when we're convicted of sin, typically what happens is that we think about ourselves. Are you you with me? Something about me comes into view first, typically. How is this going to affect me? What is it going to have to do with it? That's secondary. The first thing that should come into our minds when the Holy Spirit convicts me of any sin should be my fellowship with the Holy Spirit, my fellowship with my Heavenly Father, His fellowship with me. That's the issue, you see, Chris, that is so devastating about our sin. And so this earnestness begins, is created in me by the Spirit, creating godly grief that, oh, my Lord, this sin has the potential, the potential of affecting detrimentally or weakening my fellowship with God as the Holy Spirit, if you would, would would withdraw some of the experience of that fellowship from me if I fail to acknowledge it, confess it, and repent of it. Make a decision by the Spirit's power to say no to it. Now, we've already heard this, but again, I I feel compelled to go over it and over it and over it. The reason why is because I'm not sure whether we've heard it enough. The second result is an eagerness is an eagerness that is the result of realizing the detrimental impact of our sin upon our fellowship with God. And now we want to have an eagerness to pursue a restoration of that fellowship. All of a sudden, I am realizing this is impacting my fellowship with God. The Holy Spirit gives me that revelation. Then the next step is, if you would, or the next aspect, the next part of that is I now need to do what God gives me. You notice what I just said, what God gives me to restore that fellowship, to restore that fellowship. Now, you'll notice the restoration of that fellowship is not about, I better read my Bible more, although you should read your Bible more. The restoration of that fellowship is not things that I do. It has to do with our fellowship and intimacy and relationship with God. So now this morning we continue with the next five aspects of godly grief. All of this is in 2 Corinthians 7.11, by the way. Third, I need to have this restored. I am asking the Holy Spirit to begin to restore, to deal with this sin in a way that restores my fellowship, protects my fellowship, and even as a result of this, enhances my fellowship. Now remember, don't misunderstand. I did not say that if I sin or when I sin, because every one of us are going to sin because we live in a body of sin. Remember Paul in Romans 7, who will deliver me from what? This body of sin. Remember that? We're going to sin. So don't misunderstand that when I sin, my fellowship with God is diminished or impacted detrimentally. That's a potential. 
It won't be if we deal with that sin according to God's grace of repentance. Correct? Not only will the fellowship be maintained, but the weakness that gave in to the sin will be strengthened against that sin for the next time, if there is a next time, and our fellowship with God is, in fact, enhanced. Why? Because now we are experiencing the goodness of God, Romans 2, 2 4, the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Isn't it odd that the only way we experience the love of God is by sinning? How many of you have experienced the love of God apart from sinning? No, you haven't. How did you ever come into the faith? You were saved from sinning. And that's when you first started experiencing the goodness of God. And how do you experience the mercy and the grace and the love of God? When you sin, God deals with you as a child and lovingly takes you through this and deals with the sin in a way that protects you and enhances that fellowship. Now, that isn't to say that we should go on sinning. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 6. The third thing is, is indignation. Indignation against sin. You know, each one of these is important in and of itself. And I do not want to infer that one is more important than the other. But I believe I see a great weakness in the church. And it's this. When we sin, we're not that disturbed by it. Unless it's a big one, Joe. Unless it's a big one. You know what I mean. The big ones. You've committed adultery. (gasps) You've killed somebody. (gasps) You've, of course, those are big. But the minor, everyday sins, we don't think very much of them. We don't think they're that big of a deal. Okay, I sin. Yeah, well, everybody sins. You know, everybody has their fault. Everybody has, everybody, they love, I, I hate this word, but people love it. <clears throat> don't, I, everybody makes their mistakes. Can you please get it out of your vocabulary that sin is a mistake? Can you please flush that down the toilet where it belongs? Amen? It's not a mistake. It's a decision to rebel, to repudiate God. And so, when I sin, if I am not feeling an indignation about what I just did, an anger... With myself about what I just did, I am not experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit as I need to. Because the Bible says the wrath of God is revealed, what? Against sin, the unrighteousness. Remember that? Who said that? For the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness of men. Romans 1, what? 18. This is an attitude of hatred for sin. Now, you're going to find, and I find this in me, 
as I see weakness in me in any of these areas, what do I do about it? I go to God and I ask him, Father, by your spirit, would you begin to create a much greater work of the spirit in these areas so I can experience each one of these in order to walk free from the activity, not the presence, but the activity of sin in my life so I can mature in Christ and be more conformed to the image of your son. Pray. Ask God when you see deficiencies because we see deficiencies. How many of you see deficiencies in you in this area? Certainly. We need to pray. An attitude of hatred against sin, which results in opposition to sin, both to actual and to its presence in our flesh. So I have here Romans 6, 6, which I've talked about the body of sin. I'm sorry, I said body of sin, uh, Romans 7. It was body of sin, 6, 6, and the body of death, which is in Romans 7, 24. An indignation. This indignation is created, grace created and given to me by the Holy Spirit. It's not mine indigenously. Do you know what I mean by that? It's not mine by my natural flesh. It's created in me, and I experience this. What am I experiencing? I am experiencing in indignation the anger and the hatred of God against sin. Are you with me on this? That's what I'm experiencing. This indignation opposes sin and even seeks ways to avoid and overcoming potential sin. So this indignation knows if I go that way, sin is lying at the door. How many of us know that if we walk in a certain way or look at a certain thing or hear something or whatever, sin's going to be there to jump on us? Don't we know this already? Are we ignorant or do we already know it? So indignation says I'm not only feeling the anger and hatred and opposition of God against my sin, not against me, but against my sin, not against me, but against my sin, against that which is attacking his fellowship in me, attacking the atonement of his son in me. When I feel that, it also should be an indication or instruction, if I go down that way, I'm going to be tempted again. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. The failure that we have is this. Probably everyone in here knows, you know the avenues where sin travels. Are you, are you with me? We know the avenues, we know the places, we know the um, the circumstances, we know whatever. We know that much about sin, don't we? And yet, because we are failing to experience and even ask for this gift of the Holy Spirit in increase, we continually and decisionally go down those areas. Don't we? We continually look at our movies knowing that what is in them is detrimental to us. We continue to listen to whatever out there knowing what it does. The indignation of the Holy Spirit is also to create not only an opposition to my actual sin, 
but a defense against the potentiality of that sin in my life, which I am well aware of when I go that way or see that or do that or whatever. Fear. Fear. I didn't think a Christian should have fear. Don't you ever listen to that kind of theology. Don't listen to that theology. It depends on what we mean by fear and what kind of fear. This fear includes, this fear includes the consequences from God. I didn't write that in my notes. You need to put it in there. That that was a neglect. I didn't hear that. This fear includes the consequences from God as to my sin. There's another weakness. Oh, the grace of God. Thank God for the grace of God. But there are too many in the church that believe that the grace of God means that there won't be any real consequences to my sin because Jesus is so loving and he's forgiven me of so much and whatever that certainly God is not going to. God will deal with our sin. And the biggest fear, one of the biggest fears I have in my life is this. Not that I sin. I don't want to sin. But when I do, I don't want to experience in any way whatsoever even the least consequence of that sin that God will, because he loves me, place upon me. What verse did I just quote? Hebrews 12, 6. I just said it in another way. Whom the Lord loveth, he what? Disciplines or chastens. You see, Beth, there are consequences to every sin. Every sin has a consequence. The consequence of its penalty is in Christ at the cross. Now the consequence as to its fellowship is residential in me if I'm failing to repent and to see God for the grace of repentance and call upon him if I see weakness in me to create a greater work of this grace in me. It's a fear of the consequences of sin as well as a healthy fear of repenting, repeating the sin, having experienced its terrible effect in seduction. This fear is from the Lord to produce the joy and peace and the cleansing and strengthening effect of God's discipline. Hebrews 12, 11, that when the discipline is completed, what? It produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Fear. Again, a weakness in the church. There is too little indignation about our sin. And you're listening to this today, and you're thinking, yeah, you know, I don't, I've really not gotten that upset about a lot of my sin. Oh, a little bit here and there. The ones that get me into trouble. You know what I mean? I got arrested. Man, I just never want to do that again, John, because I got arrested. Thank God you got arrested. So the lack of indignation is an issue of need in me that I need to go to the Holy Spirit and ask him to increase this work of grace. The second thing is a, 
you know, indignation, a hatred. The second thing is a fear. We simply don't have a healthy Holy Spirit given fear. We don't have enough in us. If on the occasion of any sin, if on the occasion of any sin, any sin whatsoever, you do not begin to fear what that sin could produce, the result of which could have devastating relational effects in you. You need to pray. Are you with me today? You see, this is not just a class of what's there and let's move along. This is a class that is telling us, the Holy Spirit is telling us, here are the things that are prerequisites and aspects of true godly grief that leads to repentance unto salvation. And I'm going to see deficiencies in me in probably each one of these. Let me tell you how God, if you don't pray this way and ask for this regularly, here's what the Holy Spirit will lovingly do. And I believe this. I may be wrong, but this is my opinion, Todd. So give me a little space. Give me a little space. Here's what I think the Holy Spirit will do, Warren. He will give you an opportunity to experience the reason for fear. I have never been so afraid in my life of anything at all. May I repeat that? I have never been afraid of, so afraid of anything at all until at a particular point in my life I was confronted by the Holy Spirit as to my sin in a way that literally frightened Charlie the hell out of me. It took my breath away. <gasps> and oh my God. Now maybe we need to experience that each one of us. I don't know. I don't know whether it's necessary. I can't say that, Andy. But I can say this. It is needful and necessary for each one of us to have a healthy respect and fear for the disciplining work of the Holy Spirit. I've shared these stories before. I'm old, Chris, so I share the same thing over and over again. You know, I've been with it. Yeah, okay, go ahead again. I'm in my office, and there's a couple in there. They're not in the church anymore, so don't try to figure out. Look around the room. And they had the little baby child there, six months old or whatever, with them. And both of them in there blowed up like woodpeckers. How many from the South know what that means? Man, you ain't moving. She's guilty. He's guilty. And neither one of them are moving. Mm, I mean, they blowed up. They blowed up. We're talking about repenting and forgiving one another and, 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 you know, 
Be careful. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it just came all over me. It came all over me. I said, I have to warn you two. I have to warn you. It came all over me. Josie, all of a sudden, it hit me like a brick. I have to warn you. You're in trouble. You're in danger. How can we be? We're forgiven. I said, you are making God your adversary by not repenting. You're making God your adversary by not repenting. Be warned. You're making God your adversary. What do you mean? I said, it is not past God to touch you or your family or your child or something in your life. Oh, God would never do that. You better go back and read your Bible again, honey child. God took David's one-year-old child. You read 2 Samuel 12? God put the child to death. God? Anton, that was God? I warned them. They left. I don't know, two days later? It's a Saturday. I get a call. Pastor Peter, can you come? We're in Children's Hospital. Can you come? We're in the emergency room. I don't know if you remember this or not. I got over there. I walk into the emergency room in Children's Hospital. Some of you have been there. Some of you know where it is. And the daddy sees me. And Mike, he leaps out of his chair and he grabs me and his eyeballs are coming out of his head saying, could this be God? Could this be God? Kenny, I just said, I don't know. I don't know. But yes, it could be. Something was very wrong with their child. Two days later, two days later, Thank God he had mercy on them, and now they have several children. This couple, that broke them. But they have learned to fear God when resisting and not repenting the way the Holy Spirit gives it to them. Amen? If I were to ask this man to come here today, he would tell you, be afraid of God. We have this syrupy thought and feeling about this great God of ours who sent his son to the cross for our sin that we can continue to dabble in it with impunity without any effects. It's a hellishly dangerous thought. Longing. Sin has the potential of God withdrawing or diminishing our experience of his presence. And so we are longing for that restoration of the fellowship. So remember in Psalm 51, David says, David's cry to God after he is confronted by Nathan with his sin. Remember Samuel 12, I already mentioned that. Thou art the man. And David says, against thee, O Lord, and thee alone have I sinned. Come on, he had a woman. Wasn't she duplicitous in this? Of course she was. Did she cooperate? Of course she did. 
But he didn't say, well, don't you know it with Bathsheba too? She did it too, you know. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. And then he says, oh, God, do not withdraw your spirit from me. If you don't have a healthy fear of God withdrawing his spirit from me, you have not experienced the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to any significant place. Amen? You just have not. And if that's where you are, that's something to do what? Pray about. Pray about. God withdrawing his spirit. Well, okay. I can live through the death of my wife. How many of you have lived through the death of a spouse? Anybody in here? Because I know we've had Mike in here and others. I can live through the death of my wife. I can live through the death of my daughter. I can live through the death of my grandchildren. You know, I can live through that. Do you, are you with me today? I cannot live through the withdrawal of the Holy Spirit from me. I shudder. I shudder about that prospect. Oh, well, Peter, don't you know that now that you're a Christian, you will never have to go back and read your Bible. I can live through any, my wife, Jean, can live through the death of her husband. It'll be hard, but she can do it. (laughs) She can live through the death of Ashley. And she can live through the death of her grandchildren. She cannot live through the withdrawing of the Holy Spirit's fellowship. If you don't feel that way, pray. Pray. Are we seeing, beginning to see some fundamentals of our, the weaknesses in our faith and our walk with God? Why we are, where we are, how we are, and what we are. Hopefully this is helping. Hopefully the Holy Spirit is speaking, laying a greater foundation and an understanding and a revelation to us. Zeal. Then all of a sudden we have a fiery and passionate zeal for obedient living. Obedient living. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us, talking about Christ, to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify himself, a people for his own passion, who are zealous for good works, zealous for good works. The good work that we're talking about today is godly fear unto repentance leading to salvation. Do we see that? That's the good work today that we're talking about. Zealous. Oh, God, give me the grace of repentance I don't know what's going to happen to me in the natural. I did this, that, or the other. How, I, that is so unimportant to me. God, I must have, Heavenly Father, the maintenance and the, the, uh, the, uh, the increased intimacy of your spirit with me. I cannot afford to have any diminution of that intimacy of your spirit. Don't diminish it at all. In fact, increase it. Increase it. Punishment. Oh, punishment. Well, I thought only Jesus was punished. He was. So we're not using punishment in this sense. The punishment has to do with strong desire and determination to be vindicated by the restoration or the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we are wanting Jesus by the Spirit to punish 
our weakness, to punish the failure of our flesh, to punish whatever is going on that allows us to sin. Remember in John chapter 13, Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples, and Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash them, you have none with me. He said, then wash me all over. He says, you have been cleansed except one of you, Judas, by the word that I've spoken. Do you remember this? You saw the movie? Okay, you've been cleansed. All you need, though, is a washing. We need to be washed by the Spirit, the regenerating, the cleansing, the purifying work of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis so that that activity of sin is punished, is dealt with, is purified, is purged from us. We ask for that. So I get an attitude of lust. I get an attitude of fear. I get an attitude of jealousy. I get an attitude of whatever it is. Well, I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Any sinful attitude. I recognize it. And I say to the enemy, you will not make me sin. I refuse this. And I turn to God and I say, Father, wash my feelings, my thoughts my attitudes. Too many of us retain anger and resentment and lust and jealousies and whatever they are, they stay in us active because we have not asked the Holy Spirit to wash and flush us and cleanse us. Father, I have never asked, may I repeat that? I have never asked, may I say it one more time? I have never asked the Holy Spirit to cleanse me or to wash me of any particular issue of sin. You know, these thoughts and these feelings and these desires and all of that. Never have I asked him to cleanse me, and he did not. I recognize it because he's showing it to me. I resist it, having submitted to him, James 4, 7. The devil will leave me. But in me still resides that activity or that slushiness. And I need a spiritual bath in my mind, in my attitudes, in my feelings. So what do I do? I ask God to cleanse me, to wash me. John 13, 10 would be one of your verses. The deeper our godly sorrow over our sin, the deeper the work of the Spirit in cleansing and transforming us. You see, if there is a lack in each one of us, and I think there is, I have to ask for this regularly. I don't get it, and now I have it forever. It is a continual relational work of the Holy Spirit to which I have to submit and request. There's no inertia in God. He gave it to me one time, Mike, now I have it, I'm sailing along. It's a continual asking. There is a lack of, if there's a lack of this godly grief, then something is wrong in us. So what do we do? We go to God and we ask. We ask. But you see, next week we're going to talk about another grief that accompanies the revelation of sin that mimics biblical repentance in its emotional response but leads to death. Amen. Hopefully, this series, this little adjunct God has given us is helping us to have a much greater understanding of how we are to walk with God. Amen. Please pray. Tell others you miss them. Invite them to the class. I won't be satisfied until every living person in this church is in this classroom. And hopefully you won't either. See you next week.